There, you denizens of the internet, welcome to Pikapi Podcast. You are listening to a Pokemon anime podcast talking about every episode of the Pokemon anime. We hope <laughs> there's a lot of episodes of the Pokemon anime, but we've been pushing along at this for quite some time, and now we're in the Hoenn region. Not a bad accomplishment, you know, going one episode at a time, including specials and movies and everything, so. So, if you're joining us for the first time, you've you've come in at the middle of a very long and ongoing project. But that doesn't mean you're not welcome. Each episode will stand alone. You don't have to start from the beginning, and in fact, right now, you still kind of can't. I'm still dealing with file episode crisis, getting it all back online, so. But you don't need to start all the way from episode one to know what's going on with this podcast. Or even Pokemon in general, because I'm starting to think, like, there really are a lot of fans of this show who did not start with episode one. Because after all, their entire demographic is very, very, very young. And that's why movie 20 is the retelling of Ash and Pikachu's origin story. But yeah, today's episode is advanced generation number three. Um, there's no place like Hoenn. And being at the start of a new region, it was kind of a, an entry point, a jumping in place, a place to sort of soft reboot some things. <laughs> so yeah, this is a perfect place to jump in if it's your first time listening. But before we get into talking about the episode, Stephen from PokePress, who is both a sponsor for the show and uh, all-around curator of awesome Pokemon things, went to Anime Milwaukee and came back with a bunch of videos, Vic Moniana. Erica Lindbeck, Lucian Dodge, um, all awesome voice actors uh, who have voiced things on Pokemon, like Keldeo, Diantha, Blue. Like, PokePress has a lot of great interviews with voice actors or directors or various people who have worked on Pokemon in many capacities, but the Vic Moniana interview was a bit surprising to me just because he doesn't seem like he's the easy guy to get an interview with, just because he's such a big name in anime voiceover acting. <laughs> Like, I've been to a few cons where he's appeared, and he's like a rock star. So that's a really special little interview, because, A, it's it's Vic Moniana, like, that's awesome on its own, and talking about, you know, his career and voice acting. But to get him to specifically talk about Pokemon, because I don't think he gets asked that as much as some of his other roles. Like, talking a couple seconds ago about Pokemon's very, very young demographic, I think 90% of the people who hear Vic Moniana's voice in a Pokemon role are not the people who are going to cons and are, like, really excited to ask him about his character work and things like that. So I think that Steven was able to get this interview. It's kind of a special little thing. 
Uh, you can check it and all the others out on YouTube at Poke Press, or you can visit Poke Press's blog, um, pokepress.blogspot.com. And I'll have links to that stuff on my blog page, and I'll give you my info at the end of the episode. Ah, uh, but anyway, we got an episode to talk about. Our kids have finally made it to Petalburg City, yay! So, high fives all around. Petalburg Gym, we all are ready to challenge everything. All of us except for May. She's not enthusiastic about the gym battle or the gym leader. So we're going to learn some interesting things about her today. For starters, she knows the Petalburg gym leader personally. How well she's kind of vague on uh, when Ash asks, but she's familiar enough to know his defining character traits, that he's strong, kind, handsome, just generally a really awesome dude. And she says that despite all of this, she doesn't know him well, she just kind of wishes she did. Now, I've always loved that little throwaway line, even though it didn't really end up going anywhere that I thought it would. Because you can take it as May is trying to lie and hide how well connected to the gym leader she is. Um, but because we all know what May's hiding, that the gym leader is her dad, I like to dig a little deeper into it. And again, it never goes anywhere, so maybe it's headcanon. But we know that May doesn't like Pokemon especially well, for a couple different reasons that will be revealed over time. Um, and she's not especially keen to be a Pokemon trainer. And while May never says, like, where she moved from or how her family got to Petalburg City, we know her game counterpart came from Johto in the back of a moving van, and that while Game Norman is hardly the worst, he's also not winning Dad of the Year. <laughs> like, there's that great screenshot where he's like, yeah, I have a kid about your age. I wonder what they're doing now. <laughs> so basically, I think it's possible that, you know, May loves her dad, he loves her, she clearly talks him up every chance she gets, but maybe she doesn't have quite the relationship she wants with him right now. And maybe sees Pokemon training and gyms and all of that as the wedge that's kind of in the way. Not like there's anything really serious going on. It's not like Norman's actually being a neglectful father, since by all appearances he's not. Um, but when you're 10 and, you know, your dad picks up the family to move for work, like, yeah, maybe you resent his job for disrupting your life. Or if he spends a lot of time at work in the gym training Pokemon or fighting every random kid who comes through town and has no time to play with his actual kid, you know, or, or before becoming the gym leader, he was away for long periods of time training in, you know, like Brock's dad. Like, yeah, you might have a little bit of unresolved angst about that. Like, kids want to spend time with their daddies. I just get the feeling that between this line and May's general unwillingness to pursue Pokemon training and gyms, despite clearly living in a house with Pokemon playmates and all that, like, she might have some other life stuff standing in her way. And again, not anything really serious, just... I think there is an opportunity to read a little deeper into May, and even if, like, none of this ever ends up going anywhere to mean anything substantial... There is so much work put into her characterization and her acting. Even if what I'm saying is a little bit headcanony, like somebody clearly sat down and is like, well, what does May feel about her father? What is their relationship? Like, how does May view the world? And that's a lot more than a lot of other characters have been getting up to this point. 
Like, I'll probably stop gushing about this eventually, but it's just, I love that May is fully realized right from the get-go. And even if, like, I think a lot of people would agree that the way her character progressed through her plot and her character arc, like, it has some problems and it didn't quite resolve the way we all really would have felt satisfied with. Like, the problem with her was not, like, the effort put into her at the beginning. Like, a lot of effort went into May and... And again, I just appreciate that. Like, I love with this Hoenn where it's starting and, you know, that they're taking the chance to do things new and to, like, make a nice, strong impression that that the characterization, specifically the characterization of their female character, was something that they decided to put all their effort into. Again, I know I say this, like, every episode. Sooner or later, I'll get over it. But again, for now, I still just really love it. I love May. Um, but anyway, May, she doesn't really want Ash to know that she's the daughter of the gym leader, so she leaves him on his lonesome, like, go fight the gym, good luck, I've got mysterious other things to take care of. Like, the whole thing reads like Brock during the Cerulean City Challenge. Like, what were you doing all day, Brock? Will we ever know? Anyway, Ash arrives at the Petalburg gym, but when he goes inside, no one greets him. The only person around seems to be this young kid named Max, um, who wears glasses, he's a little haughty, but he recognizes Ash from videos of the Silver Conference, and that's cool. Kids live-streaming Pokemon battles from other regions. Um, of course, Max mostly seems to remember that Ash got taken out in the top eight. Only remembers the matches Ash lost. But I'm really intrigued by these videos that Max has not just watched, but made of the Silver Conference. Like, please tell me he's been making fan vids of the competitors. Like, that would just make my day. Like, we log into his laptop and find just a whole bunch of FMVs on his YouTube account. Like, don't tell me Max isn't heavily involved in the Pokemon Trainer fandom. Like, I bet he writes fan fiction. Little nerd that he is. Um, but the match between Ash and Harrison, we remember, was really intense. Max loved watching it, and he's also a, a little bit of a backseat Pokemon trainer. Like, if you did it all over again, like, don't you think you should have used Charizard's attacks more effectively? Like, if I'd been there, <laughs> this kid would have fit right in with Brock and Misty. Making comments from the peanut gallery. Uh, so Ash, he's like... I made it to the victory tournament. I, I am a good trainer. I have accomplishments. And Max speaks for, unfortunately, about half the fandom going like, yeah, but you still lost. <laughs> it's like, them's fighting words, kid. Ash is like, I am battling the gym leader, nothing else. And Max claims that he's the gym leader. And Ash is a bit confused. Like, age is just a number in Poke World, but this kid is still too young to be a gym leader. To add another complication, apparently Petalburg rules are three-on-three -three battles, and Ash only has Pikachu right now. I don't think this necessarily means he couldn't try to take the entire gym with one Pokemon. I mean, if Pikachu won, how would anyone know? <laughs> but it is ill-advised. And besides, Max is demanding that Ash show his Pokemon. Except... Gym leaders are supposed to show their Pokemon first. They always throw the first Pokeball, because that's the more disadvantageous position. It's good sportsmanship. So Ash is like, no, 
not doing this, kid. You show your Pokemon first. Don't even think about pulling rank. That's not a thing. And into all this arguing comes May and her dad, the gym leader, and then her mom, Carolyn, coordinator extraordinaire. So, Skitty's out of the bag. May introduces everybody to each other, and Ash is actually making a good impression on the parents, despite being completely ticked off at both of their children. <laughs> like, he is barely holding it together. Look at his face when Max uh, is being pecked to death by May's Torchic. Like, oh my goodness, Ash, you're awful. <laughs> Pikachu is kind of on the same page. Um, but Ash does kind of get over it when he realizes that Max just wants to be older so he can have his own Pokemon. Kind of like Ash did when he was a small child, I think. Like, Max wants to be the gym leader like his dad. He wants to be fighting in the victory tournaments like Ash. He wants to have a Trico and go on a journey. But all he can do is read books and pretend. And Ash understands these feelings. And so the second time Max gets pecked to pieces, Ash is looking a little more sympathetic. The family invites Ash to lunch and they talk about traveling and the journey he's been on before meeting May, um, and that Ash really wants to challenge the Petalburg gym. However, one thing Max was telling the truth about was that the rules here are three on three. And Ash could transfer over some Pokemon from the PC, but he's set on challenging this region with only Pokemon he's caught here in Hoenn, and of course, the starter. He's got some emotional reasons for doing this, and as well, it's a practical one. It challenges him and Pikachu, and also gives the new Pokemon a chance to build up. And deciding to just switch in some new ones because it's convenient kind of takes away from the point of that. Norman admires this, but it does mean that the match is going to have to wait for another day when Ash has caught more Pokemon if he wants to get the badge. Of course, they can have unofficial matches whenever they want, like no badge on the line, but Ash is welcome to fight the gym leader one-on-one -on -one just for the experience. And of course, Ash says yes, like he is so excited, it's adorable. But you can't win matches on cute. Norman uses a Vigoroth, which looks like it should be slow, but it's actually faster than Pikachu. And its arms are all over the place, like our little buddy takes tumble after tumble into the dirt. Even Team Rocket, watching from the window, is feeling concerned for Pikachu, like, maybe we should capture Vigoroth. But still, Ash and Pikachu do hold their own, quick attack helps, and, and they impress the home crowd. Max is like, well, duh, he did make it to the second match of the victory tournament. Um, Ash loses the match in the end, but it was a good experience for him. Unlike what happens next, Team Rocket makes a dramatic entrance by busting a hole in the wall and doing their motto. A themed motto, too, full of effects, um, and has the totally wrong effect. Carolyn's like, oh, how cute, May made new friends. Like, never mind that they just busted a hole in our house. <laughs> by the time anyone starts taking Team Rocket seriously, Weezing has already used smokescreen. And, and, you know, Pikachu just lost a match. It's tired. Vigoroth's been a little worn down, too. So Max urges May to send out Torchic to help. It, it just doesn't actually help that much. <laughs> it's Pikachu who rallies and sends Team Rocket fleeing with a Thunderbolt. Um, one that actually hit Max. Just how accidental was that, Ash? Um, but anyway, Team Rocket's gone, um, but they didn't get Vigoroth. 
and they didn't get Pikachu. However, Torchic is missing. <laughs> Uh-oh. Um, they all run outside to see Team Rocket flying off in the balloon. And this is devastating to May. It's her first Pokemon. She doesn't know what's going on. But Ash is like, don't worry, we'll get Torchic back. Trust me, I've been dealing with this for years. <laughs> and he's so convicted about it. Like, I think he's about to do a Liam Neeson impression. He's so gung-ho about getting this Torchic back. <laughs> but remember, Ash is a little boss when the situation is not actually about him. <laughs> Steal someone else's Pokemon? Like, yeah, Team Rocket's going down in flames. Of course, Ash is not working alone today. He's got the whole cast of Leave it to Beaver helping him out. Which, in the case of Norman and Caroline, well, they seem into catching Team Rocket. Or running off in the bushes to make out. Like, the body language of the three kids is hard to read here. <laughs> Either way, they're not hanging around to listen to General Ketchum's instructions. They're going to do their own thing. Ash has got Max uh, searching on the ground for footprints when the thieves flew off in a balloon. And he's got May beating up on her little brother who fake cries, like, Ash, you brave hero, you deserve a medal just for putting up with these people. Um, luckily, though, Norman and Caroline did not have the confidence of their children when they left, but are now back, and they're like, oh, we found the balloon. Shouldn't have looked so dejected earlier, kids. <laughs> but the success is tempered when May and Max see Torchic just sitting there in a cage, and they run straight towards it. Nash tries to warn them, like, this is Team Rocket, there could be a trap. May and Max fall in the hole. And then Norman and Caroline run out. It's like, no, guys, this is Team Rocket. There might be a backup trap. Nash is like, I'm surrounded by amateurs. Because Team Rocket's figured out that they didn't get Pikachu, but a piddly little fire chicken. And they're thinking to use it as bait for the bigger prize. And Nash has dealt with them long enough to expect the worst, and again... It's not his Pokemon that got stolen, so he's got a big boost in perspective. He doesn't have any Pokemon like Bayleaf, so he's got to help the humans out of their respective holes himself. And I love how he just looks over his shoulder like, Pikachu, handle Arbok. Like, just practiced ease here. Like, you got this, bro. You don't need me to call attacks. I'll pull everybody up. Watch my back. Like, the two of them, they've just gotten so seasoned. Once Norman's out of the hole, he brings Vigoroth into the game, like, for my little girl! But Max is actually the one who saves Torchic, sneaking off undetected in the chaos. And so it, he brings back the cage, May and Torchic have a tearful reunion, and then they try to join the Pokemon battle. Which would be great, it's very thoughtful, <laughs> but May's still figuring out how to pronounce Pokemon attacks. Like, Amber. Uh, the mushroom in the background is a reference to the Japanese line, like what Haruka says ends up sounding like mushroom. Uh, the English dub had to go with a different pun. Either way, May doesn't know what she's talking about, and neither does Torchic. <laughs> Torchic also doesn't know who it's supposed to be attacking in this battle, so... Ash and Norman are fighting Team Rocket, May's basically beating up Max. Again, how accidental is this? We should We should question this. Pikachu and Vigoroth do manage to send Team Rocket blasting off, though. I, I think Pikachu should see a Pokemon Center immediately after, though. He's taken a beating today. Anyway, with all this resolved, Ash is ready to hit the road. And May's definitely figured out she wants to stick close to him. He knows his stuff. 
And Max also knows his Pokemon stuff. He he knows a lot more about Pokemon than his sister, and he's just so itching to go on a Pokemon journey. The problem is he's just too young to train a Pokemon himself. But if he sticks to chaperones, there's no reason he can't travel around and see the Pokemon up close and get experience that way. Which is how Ash ended up with his first babysitting gig. Like, the Pokemon world is just really interesting for, like, once kids turn 10, they're basically treated as adults. Or at least that weird stage of adulthood where you're, like, between 18 and 21, where it's like, you're you're technically of age, and you've, like, you, you've left high school, you're maybe, like, going to college, or you're working, or whatever, you, you've got a lot of rights, but you don't necessarily have all the rights of adulthood yet, <laughs> like... Just that weird period of time in your life where you're both a kid, but also not really a kid. Like, this situation, and situations in general, in the Pokemon world, like, they parallel to our real world if the characters were 10 years older. Like, if Ash and May were, like, in the 1920 range, and Max was more like 17. Like, you might see something like Two Good Friends you know, camping or going on a backpacking trip and, like, the parents agreeing to let the little little brother come along or something and feeling like that's a, an appropriate level of chaperone. It's just interesting because I think when we watch these episodes over and over like we do, like, after nearly 20 years of Pokemon anime, like, we've s started to suspend our disbelief and just accept, like, okay, at 10 years old, these kids are allowed to do a lot of things that in our world people would think twice about letting kids do. But but the, but the series has established for us that Ash is, you know, viewed as a responsible, of a responsible age, that he can go traveling alone, that he can theoretically look after a smaller child. <laughs> but Max kind of adds a new dimension because sometimes he acts very much like a small child, you know, of the age he actually is in our world with, like, the fake crying and things like that. And it doesn't necessarily shake the suspension of disbelief, but like I said, just adds a, a different viewpoint to how these kids live in their world and how the world perceives them. And we might talk more about that as we go through Hoenn, as, and because we'll see that the, the characters of the day treat Ash very differently from how they treat Max. And there's not actually a lot of years apart. Which, again, has that real-world parallel if the characters were aged up about 10 years. Because you wouldn't see that dramatic of a difference between, say, an 8-year-old and a 10-year-old, or whatever age Max is supposed to be. <laughs> Um, in our world, but you would see a bit of a shift between, say, an 18 or 17-year-old and a 20, 21-year-old. It's not a huge gap of years between those two points, but at 17 and 20, like, you are living in two completely different worlds. But anyway, it happens. Norman and Caroline ask Ash if Max can come along with him in May, and he agrees thus starting up the first mobile chapter of the Babysitter's Club. And he and May get shiny new badge cases, while Max gets a Pokenav, a device that serves as a town map, among other things, um, on the condition that Max helps the others with the navigating. 
And while I still maintain that Ash is a better navigator than he sometimes gets credit for, given that a lot of the major detours in the past were made by Brock and Misty, whereas when Ash was left to his own devices, he went in a pretty darn straight line, he still has a lot of room to grow in that department, and and so Max with a Pokenev can only help. And so the whole gang is off to Rustboro City. And that finishes our third episode in the Hoenn region. Like, I've always really loved this episode. I it, Just all the characters and characterization is something this season did really well. And it's just a beautiful dynamic with all these new characters who are, like, so developed and fleshed out, juxtaposed against Ash and Pikachu and Team Rocket and the sense of history. Like, that's another thing that these first, like, five episodes really were able to pull off was, you know, the the brand new feeling of Ash being in a new place, but, like, the weight of everything that came before. Like, not just in the continuity nods, but the way Ash reacts to things and the way he talks about or to things is just... The world feels so full in a way that it didn't feel in the first season or Orange Islands and hadn't really quite figured out in Johto even. Only as it kind of started to get towards the end did we kind of get this richness. And, and like I said, just Hoenn does that so well. It it There's a magic to Hoenn. I love Hoenn. <laughs> I say it too many times. I just really love Hoenn. It makes me happy. It fills me with joy. Um, but we're going to have to stop it here and save that joy for the next episode. So thank you for listening. Um, if you'd like to comment on this episode or any other, you can visit us at peakhappypodcast.blogspot.com or send an email to peakhappypodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Podcast. And as always, uh, download this episode or stream it or however you listen to podcasts through lovely services like iTunes and Zoom and whatever way this podcast gets to your ears. We'll talk to you all next time. This has been Peek Happy Podcast. Gotta catch them all. 